0: so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile, and their thoughts and their uh, foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the uh, image uh, made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the, creator, uh, the crea- uh, creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Let's uh, pray before we start. Father, we just ask, uh, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would reveal more of who you are to us, Uh, Lord, that you would use your truth, uh, Lord, to sink deep into our lives, Lord, that it would be manifest in a deeper walk with you, Lord, uh, to love you more and to love one another more, and Lord, to love this world that is lost and without hope. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would use the ministry of your word tonight to uh, indeed draw us nearer And nearer to you, Lord, for you desire, uh, Lord, to fill us with the overflow of your Holy Spirit. And we know uh, that your Spirit speaks through your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes tonight, I've titled uh, our time in God's Word tonight, God Clearly Seen. And obviously the text itself uh, illustrates this. I'm not coming up with anything creative here. Uh, But again, if you're taking notes, just God Clearly Seen. Um. In other words, the evidence for God is unmistakable and irrefutable to any and all people. Did you catch that? The evidence is unmistakable and irrefutable to any and all people. This would not seem to be the case as you look around the world because it seems like most people, they'll tell you themselves don't see any evidence, right? You could could watch almost any mainstream news and you would never get the hint that anyone has any clue that God exists by what they say, the questions they ask, the arguments that they pose. But God has revealed himself in... Many, and in my notes it's M A N. M-A-N-Y, many ways. God has revealed himself in many, 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 many ways, right? But all of the ways he's revealed himself, and there are so many ways. You know, Job talks about of all the things that we can see, they're the mere whisper uh, of the edges of his ways, right? But of all the ways he does reveal himself, he's revealed himself essentially... In any way he does reveal himself, they essentially fall under three vehicles. And Paul outlines them here. The three vehicles that God reveals himself. And again, remember the three vehicles are at the top of the pyramid. The many fall under that, right? So three vehicles up here, but then many, many, many other ways underneath of those three. Almost like three headings, if you will. And the three are this that we'll take, if you're taking notes tonight, the three things that we'll look at that Paul outlines. Number one is his wrath. And that's not where the world wants to start. But that's where Paul starts, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? You've heard me say it. I'm going to say it a long time, as long as I'm alive a long time. My pastor in Charlotte used to always say, you can't know how the good, good the good news is unless you understand how bad the bad news is. And, and good news won't even make sense. This is why you know, Ray Comfort's ministry does such a fantastic job of explaining that unless a person knows they have a serious disease, offering them a cure, and all the, you know, tell someone, hey, you really should go through chemotherapy. Uh, if you don't have a need for that, you're not going to want to do that. It's not going to make any sense. But he starts off the first, again, of these three, these three vehicles on which God reveals himself, the first is his wrath. The second is our conscience. We don't create our conscience. We're given one, right? So the second is our conscience. Everyone has a conscience. Even unsaved people are given a conscience. Now, granted, over time, they can sear it. Amen? But they're given one. Everyone's given one. So first is His wrath, second is our conscience, and the third, we're all born into this one, His creation. We didn't create ourselves, we're actually part of the creation, aren't we? (laughs) We're we're not, we, we are part of the creation, but so is everything else around us. So those are the three things. God reveals Himself in those three realms, but... I think you would agree, in many ways in those three realms, right? So that we don't have time to exhaust all the ways God reveals Himself. But no matter how you see God's revelation, it will fall into one of those three realms, right? Either wrath and judgment, either the uh, conscience where God speaks to the heart and mind of man, right? He, he brings conviction. Uh, or the third, creation itself, just uh, seeing creation and and saying, man, look at this, there's got to be a God. So this is what Paul outlines, and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Paul affirms he doesn't make the case. There's a big difference. God doesn't make the case, he makes declarations. Lawyers make a case. You know what I mean? God's not in the business of, of making a case, he just simply says it. You agree with that? Lawyers have to make a case. I don't know which side makes a better case. Convince You know, God doesn't say things to convince you. He just says them because they're true. And that's what Paul's outlining here. That these things are true irregardless of how people receive them. They're still true. So Paul affirms that mankind really doesn't miss... They don't, mankind doesn't miss these evidences, according to Paul who's only writing down what the Holy Spirit tells him to write. The Holy Spirit says, here's what you want you to write. And Paul obeys and writes down basically that man doesn't miss these evidences, but rather he chooses to ignore them or sweep them under the carpet. I didn't see that, right? See, see no evidence, hear no evidence, right? Receive no evidence. And that's, and that's the nature of man. It goes all the way back to the garden. It wasn't that that Adam and Eve didn't clearly hear what God said. They chose to let someone else twist what God had said. Even Satan said, hath God said, right? It wasn't that God wasn't clear. This is why if you're with us Sunday, remember uh, the admonition was to listen to the angel of the Lord. Make sure you hear him clearly because he doesn't mince words. Unlike you and I, We sometimes say something we didn't mean to blurt out, comes out wrong. God never has a moment where, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have said that, or I wish I'd have been more clear, or I wish I would have portrayed this more succinctly to people. God never has a moment where he says, I probably could have have explained this better. You know what I mean? We all have a lot of moments where we feel like I could have explained that better and I was misunderstood. But God's never misunderstood. People choose to misunderstand. Selective hearing, right? First thing we'll look at here, um, his wrath, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. Now remember just prior to this Paul gives a glorious statement that He's not ashamed of the gospel. Power of God unto salvation. So, in a sense, this book does not start with uh, the bad news. It actually does start with the gospel. But the kind of explanation of where the world is at starts with the bad news that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? Two things all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Now, ungodliness is everything against the person of God. That's what ungodliness is. And unrighteousness is everything against the will or nature of God, right? So uh, opposed to God Himself and opposed to His law or His will and His nature. So those are the two, uh, the two things that we see all over the world, ungodliness rebelling directly against God, unrighteousness rebelling against His will. There's, a, there's some things here that we can see uh, and if you look throughout the Bible you see that the wrath of God is revealed in a number of different ways. Like I said even though these evidences are uh, these three vehicles, there's a lot of different ways. One of the ways that God's wrath is revealed, let me just kind of go through the list here. The first one, it's revealed against mankind, the the people, the souls of mankind. Adam and Eve immediately felt the shame and ran and, and did what? They hid. They knew that the piercing eyes of God were on them personally, right? Interestingly enough, the animals didn't or at least we don't see it. There's no evidence that God doesn't say anything about the animals running and hide. But Adam and Eve, what do they do? They run and they stitch fig leaves on themselves. So the first, wrath is revealed against mankind, men and women. Uh, And we know that the first proof point of that is God says you will now die. Right? The wages of sin is what? Death. There was never supposed to be death. Death is Part of the wrath of God, and we know that the second death is the full fulfillment of His wrath. But we all experience, we're all born, and we'll get to that, there's a verse that makes this clear, we're all born under wrath. So mankind is the first. The second is the world, the world inclusively not just of man, but the animal kingdom, the plants, the oceans. Well, how do we know this? Well, we know that he flooded and destroyed. Look at all the quote-unquote innocent creatures that died in the flood. Except for two by two, you know, the animals that, that were brought onto the ark, everything else was destroyed. The wrath of God was poured out literally on planet Earth. And we know that if you're here with the prophecy series, that will come again in the form of fire. The, real world, the world is reserved for fire. Uh, Romans, Paul himself will talk later about the whole world groaning, kind of understanding that the world is still under the wrath of God. And so Paul says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven to earth, mankind, the world. How about the nations, individual nations? What about Egypt? If you're with us in Exodus, Egypt experienced literally just on their nation the wrath of God, did they not? So of many other nations. Look at all the nations that have fallen under the hand of God. Now, if you want to pick up a Bible, anyone that wants to can go back and read. Even before it took place, God said, I will judge Moab. I will judge Persia. I will judge Greece. I will judge, you know, he goes down the list. I will judge Babylon. I will judge nation after nation, Philistia. You go on down the list, and every one of them, guess what? We're judged. Every one of them. Uh, the ruins are still there from all these. You know, Hitler said that the Third Reich was going to last a thousand years. It didn't last ten, right? It was judged. He pour, God poured out his wrath. The Germany was a smoldering rubble when the soldiers got there. Now, again, this is the world will say, "Well, God didn't judge it. All the other countries fighting against Egypt did." They don't seem to understand uh, that God uses all kinds of means. To judge nations, right? Even uh, you read in Ezekiel when Israel, uh, when God is about to pour out judgment on Jerusalem, an interesting thing, God gives Ezekiel a vision and he actually sees four angels take battle axes and he sees the angels go out and kill everybody before it ever happened. Isn't that that wild? God, But guess what? It wasn't when when God brought the judgment, guess what? If you're watching with human eyes, it wasn't angels that did the killing. It was the Babylonian army. It was like the Babylonian army is nothing but a glove that the angels put their hand through. Make sense? The hand moving is Babylon. Inside the glove is these four angels with battle axes. And they had already... In future, he basically, God takes him to the future state, he sees the angels kill and slaughter the city, and then says, all right, it'll actually be an army. But it'll be my wrath that'll be poured out. I'll just use the tool of Babylon to do it. Nations. What about cities? Sometimes, when God is destroyed and poured out his wrath, uh, he has done it himself, and it is visibly himself. Uh, Sodom was just incinerated, wasn't it? Jericho, no one touched the city. March around the city, march around the city. Right? And so God does judge oftentimes. You don't have to even watch the the invisible glove. It actually is clearly the hand of God. One One of the most clear evidences of judgment is on Israel. The evidence is thousands of years old. Interestingly enough that God's wrath poured out on the very nation He loved and handpicked and created that did not exist until He grabs Abram and turns him into Abraham. Would you agree with me that the wrath of God on Israel is quite a testimony to the truth of the Scriptures and the existence of God? The existence of Israel, period, is a great testimony. Testimony. As a matter of fact, some uh, pastors and theologians believe it's the greatest individual witness visible on the earth, even right there with creation. And then, lastly, uh, the wrath of God was poured out on His only begotten Son, the cross. We remember it when we partake uh, of the Lord's Supper. I'm sure most of you, I hope all of you, probably ask and thank Jesus every day for his shed blood. Amen? And when you do, you're actually thanking God for pouring out his wrath on his very own son. Isaiah 53 and many other areas of Scripture kind of make the same clear point. Well, when you think about mankind, Psalm 711 says, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. That's a verse you don't hear too often, is it? He's angry with the wicked every day. See, as I've said before, we're not just saved to God, we're saved from God. Amen? Because it's a fearful thing to ha- fall to the hands of an angry God. We're not just saved to Him, we're saved from Him. And that's why, one of the many reasons, it's not the only reason, but we are supposed to have the fear of the Lord. Not a, not a, now that you're safe, it's not a petrified. I am not scared, but I have a holy reverence for him, right? I know that he is not a God to be taken lightly. John, Jesus said in John 3:36, "He who believes on the Son has everlasting life. This is why the wrath is no longer on those of us who are saved. Whoo, right? He that has the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now this explains why Psalm 711 says God is angry with the wicked all day long because Jesus said, now that's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, then Jesus comes along and restates the same thing, just says it differently. Jesus said, hey, just so you know, the wrath of God abides on everyone who currently does not believe in me. Everyone who does believe has life, and the light of life is in them. But if you are still uh, unsaved and lost, the wrath of God currently abides on you. Death is a big part of God's wrath because, because of sin, the entrance in, came death. And death is part of this wrath. You know, in a calendar year, 56 million people worldwide will die. That's uh, 4,688 and change per month. That's 154,000 people will die today on the 17th of January. 154,000 plus. 6,400 in the one hour that we meet right here. 6,422 is the number, this is kind of based on all the, uh, the kind of understanding of how many people are born versus dying. 6,422 will die while we're m- meeting here, slip into eternity. Of all different ages, from little babies uh, that are born and die, you know, within hours of being born, all the way up to someone dying past 100, 6,422. That's 107 people a minute. 1.8 people every second are dying. That's the wrath of God, because sin entered the world, right? Did you know that except for those that are born before the age of accountability, most will slip into hell? Jesus said, broad is the road, leads to destruction. Many there be that go that way. Narrow is the way to eternal life, and few there be that find it. That's that's the wrath of God on the world. Now, the beautiful thing, even though most people will, will... As Paul said, they'll just kind of give the stiff arm to all the evidences of God and most sadly do slip into eternity under the wrath of God. It doesn't have to be that way because God poured out His wrath on who? Jesus. Remember, of all the wrath poured out, there's only one that actually makes a difference for you and me. Because God could pour out all the wrath, and it would never atone for sin. God's wrath, only if he pours it out on his son, which he's already done. Paul, will get into this. This is, Remember, Romans, Paul is going, Paul's laying tracks right now. He's, he's putting all the facts, on, all the cards on the table. He so let, let you need to understand the state of things. Before, and when, you, when I'm done writing this letter to you, you will appreciate your salvation far more than perhaps you even realize. That's what God wants. God wants you, I don't care how long you've been saved, He wants you to appreciate your salvation more tomorrow than you did today. To grow in the understanding of, wow, I really have been saved from and to, from and to, from and to. And really, God wants to have that sink deep, deep within us. Um, I mentioned Israel being, I don't have time to go through each of those six um, areas where God has uh, poured out His wrath. Jesus being, in my mind, far the most, by far the most important. I'm just, all the other, I'm just so glad God poured out His wrath on His Son. There's part of you that wishes that didn't have to be, right? I mean, it just it blows your mind, like, why would Jesus have to do it? But you, then you realize, if God doesn't do it. We're without hope. And then you look at Israel, who Jesus comes through the household in lineage of David from the tribe of Judah. Uh, he was Jewish himself. Why do you think Jesus wept over Jerusalem saying, how I longed to gather you, but you were not willing. You wouldn't even receive my witness, my evidence. And yet Jesus already knew how many times, Israel had already been judged numerous times. But again and again, Israel be, is one of those Clear indications of the wrath of God. Isaiah 43, verses 7 and 8 says, listen to what the Lord says, No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name. They nor their kings by their harlotry or with the carcasses of their kings. This is what God calls their kings, their carcasses. On their high places. He's not even calling that in their death. He's calling their carcasses while they were still alive. On their high places when they set their threshold on my threshold and their doorpost on my doorpost. He's basically saying they're trying to establish that they're in charge and they're not in charge. With a wall between them and me, they defiled my holy name by the abominations which they committed. Therefore, I have consumed them. In my anger, and that is a this is a historical account of what God had. He'd already destroyed Israel. He'd already dispersed them among the nations. Thousands had lost their lives. It got so bad that in Jerusalem again, fathers and mothers were eating their own children. He consumed them. Many were ran through the sword. Many were uh, killed with violent, horrific death. God says, "I poured out my wrath because they refused." to follow me. They put a wall between me, and the wrath of God was poured out. And and the point is, if God would judge his own nation, Israel, all nations are equally guilty. Amen? If God's not going to spare Israel, who would he spare? This is the arrogance of the United States. We believe he would never judge this nation. Well, first of all, he sent lots of small judgments our way but we've, just like Israel, we have not listened. The wrath of God has been poured out. When I see thousands of homes wiped out by tornadoes, I consider that to be really devastating. Not just a kind of, well, that's kind of odd. All the things that take place, God pours out His wrath. Lamentations 2.5, it says, The Lord was like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed Their strongholds. He and has increased mourning and lamentation for the daughter of Judah. The Lord was the enemy to Israel, the very one that He called. He tore. Of course, He's the one that binds and heals too, right? But Paul's not mincing words. He says the wrath of God is very revealed. I don't have time to go into here. Paul says, but I'll get. Let me write the whole letter. You'll start to understand more as we go. Nations. I mentioned uh, again. There's so many of them. You know, if you're, if you're any student of history, you know all that. The Ming Dynasty went down. The Mongolian Empire went went down. Ancient empires of Africa that no longer exist. The ancient Ethiopian A- Empire, the Aztecs, the Incas. You go on and on. All were destroyed. Many of them died. You know, it's funny how people think that. Uh, um, God uses lots of different people to judge lots of different people, right? Uh, all the people that have ever been destroyed, whether they got destroyed by malaria or uh, you know uh, some sort of bubonic plague or armies uh, or slavery or you know, everyone's guilty, right? And so it's always it's always Jacob versus it's always brother against brother. It's always Jacob versus Esau, right? It's always Cain versus Abel. God will use one man to kill another man. Not that God God doesn't sin, but He allows the wickedness to kind of become full-blown. We'll see more of this as we get into the uh, depravity of man. But nevertheless, the wrath of God is poured out and an entire nation's fall. Uh, Looking at the world, Peter had some things to say about it uh, in his epistle. Peter writes um, in his epistle, turn here real quick. And Peter talks about the fact that uh, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 3, he says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. We're living in these days, folks. Scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, For this they willfully forget... "...that by the word of God, the heavens of old, and the earth standing out of water, and in the water, by which the world uh, that then existed being, uh, existed perished, being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth which are now reserved, by the same word are reserved for fire, the day of judgment, the perdition of ungodly men." Now, Peter mentions the worldwide flood. Do you notice that Peter just states it? He doesn't write a novel trying to prove that there was a worldwide flood. He just says that people willfully forget it. You know, you might want to say to Peter, Peter, I think you're missing the point here. They don't forget it. They don't know or believe there was one. Peter's like, no, they forget it. They choose to forget it. They will. He said willfully forget. Peter... All the science shows us there was no worldwide flood. I know that when we see uh, you know, the, the, the anatomy and, and uh, we see the skeletons of sea creatures at the top of the highest mountain range on the earth, that would seem to be an evidence of the flood, but it's probably not, wind probably blew it up there in the last week, right? <laughs> well, that's weird because it's embedded in granite. Well, uh, that, someone probably, you know, that, that probably, um, uh, how, how, would I, how would we figure this out? I, I can't even come up with the things they come up with. You have to willfully say, ah, that doesn't make any sense. No matter where they go, no matter where you go, you can go to almost any national park. And I kid you not, nine out of ten times, and I'm, I'm just throwing out a number, I don't know, but I don't know how many times I've been to a national park, and I'll read something, and it'll say, this area used to be covered by water. You ever seen that? And they'll tell you that it used to, well, a lake, a large lake used to be in this area. It's weird. The large lake is everywhere, right? (laughs) Everywhere you go is a large lake. It's like if you stitched all these large lakes together, it would like be one gigantic lake that covered the whole world. That's odd, right? (laughs) It doesn't matter. You start to look for it. Wherever you go, they'll say something like, yeah, this area used to be, it was weird. It used to be covered by water, large lake, and, you know, strange, isn't it? everywhere dig up seashells no matter where you find them and there's always a reason yeah it's weird there was a localized flood in this one that was weird because there was localized flood down the road too and then over there there was a localized flood yeah well they were all different times it's strange how that is let's look at our conscience god's wrath peter says hey it's already been poured out before it will be poured out again and Jesus said it's being poured out on everyone who doesn't believe on me right now. And here's the other thing about that, one last thing about God's wrath being poured on everybody. The other proof point is that every one of us since we've been here are one hour closer to death than we came in. The only, Again, those of us who are saved, our saving grace is that we actually will sleep as opposed to die and we'll sleep in the arms of Jesus. Because the wrath has been poured out on him. Because the second we die, we should slide right into hell. But Jesus said, no, time out. That one belongs to me. Remember, you poured out your wrath on me. That one believed on me. Right? Because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a totally different turn of events, isn't it? Our conscience. You know, back when I was a kid, you know, was it Jiminy Crook that always sang, always let your conscience be your guide? This is back when actually shows actually had a conscience, you know, things like that. But uh, everyone does have a conscience. And Paul will actually use the word conscience in the second chapter. He'll actually use the word, but it's implied here in the first chapter. Because look at verse 19, it says, "...because what may be known of God is manifest in them." In, in who? Everyone. All workers of ungodly and unrighteousness. That's all of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. that Paul gets to that later in Romans. And right, all we are like sheep, we've gone astray. And yet in them, God has manifest who He is. Isn't that odd? That people that don't act like God... Say they don't believe in God, say they're agnostic, say they're atheist, but God says I've manifested myself in them, and we know that this is true because Genesis tells us that we're made in the image of God. You look at uh, when Cain did kill Abel, it wasn't that Cain didn't know what he was doing or right from wrong. God had actually literally spoken to him. I mean, had a a voice-to-voice conversation with him. He still did it. The conscience was seared, but the conscience was there. Jesus tells, or the uh, book of John, John 1-9 tells us the true light, of course, that's Jesus, which gives light to every man, every man. Not some men, every man. This is why I don't lose any sleep over the argument. This is not to say we, we should be utterly concerned about getting the gospel to every unreached people group, getting the Bible translated to every unreached people group. Uh, you know, we, we should be praying, giving to the work of the Lord to reach the gospel that the whole world would hear. But, but at the same time, I know, as Paul mentions it here, I know that every man and every woman, no one will stand before God and say, well, I wish you would have given me some indication you were out there. It's manifest in them. Paul says the conscience, the wrath of God, and everywhere you go, they've seen the wrath of God too. They've seen people die, the deepest, darkest jungles where the gospel, they've seen, they've seen murder, they've seen hate, they've seen all the things that are manifest of the wrath of you know, sin being uh, kind of running its course. They've seen these things. But the question is, when you study the Scriptures, is man in total darkness, think about this question, is man in total darkness, or has he received some light from God? Let me give you the answer. Yes. Make sense? It doesn't make sense in human logic, but see if I can help you with it a little bit. Follow, one more time. Is man in total abject pitch black darkness, Paul talks about it in the book of Acts, that take people out of darkness into the light, or has he received some measure of light, i.e. the conscience? Yes. Now this debate rages in Christian circles. This is if if you find someone who is a staunch five-point Calvinist, they are convinced that the person in abject black darkness never sees not one second a flicker of light. God just snatches them out Boom! And all of a sudden they're saved. The answer to the question is yes. The Scripture teaches both. Oh, How can that possibly be? Those are contradictory terms, right? This is how some people react. They're not contradictory terms. Let me explain. And this is just my piddly way of trying to explain it. If you were in a completely pitch black room not a shred of light, could your mind still picture light? Yeah. Now you would, uh, the, the, the person with the argument says, well that's because you've seen light, so there, because you've seen light you can picture light. That, that's a different story. I'm just saying in the context that God has to use you know, little analogies that hopefully can work for us. But I, guarantee, I can close my eyes and I can picture I, I'm not seeing a light bulb, but I can actually picture a light bulb. And the conscience is like that. You're in pitch black darkness, you actually cannot see any light, and yet God in the conscience, He gives you a little picture of light, if you will. And so God reaches to every person in the pitch black, they are in pitch black darkness, but Jesus said, either John 1-9 is true or it's not. Does He give light to every man? The Scripture says He does. Is every man in darkness? The Scripture says every man is in darkness. Has God manifested himself in them? Paul says yes. So therefore I say yes to all questions. And say, well, how can that be? Well, you let God worry about that. Everyone's in darkness and everyone receives the conscience bearing of light, if that makes sense. The verse is clear. In them, John 8, 9, then those who heard it, this is uh, when Jesus is, uh, in his earthly ministry, when those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one with the oldest of the last. They were about to stone the woman, but their conscience was pricked. Everyone has a conscience. God can actually touch any person, no matter if they've never heard the gospel at all. They have a con- Missionaries have told many stories about we knew that we knew that our we knew that we were wrong. And our lives were wrong, but we just didn't know why. We knew we were violators of whoever is going to judge us. And again, Paul will mention the word conscience in Romans 2.15. This is why when you think about that people have a conscience, but they, they profess to, oh, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe anything that Scriptures say. I'm not believing that they're not believing. I know they say it. I know at some level they mean it. But deep, deep down, uh, and Ray Comfort talks a lot about this too, there's the key of the Scriptures unlocks the the, actually op- the little keyhole for the conscience. The only thing that unlocks that keyhole is the very thing they say they don't believe in? That's this right here. Isn't that odd? The keyhole is actually the word of God. It's living. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, if you really believe that, is there any other way to reach through to the conscience other than the Creator of the conscience? Everything else is fool's gold. Well, oh, if I could craft uh, the, I got I, I came up with the best. Analogy for this person that doesn't believe. Analogies fall apart. My analogy was is flawed. It was just my basic attempt to kind of, but God's word is not flawed. Psalm 19:7 says, the law of the Lord is, is perfect. How do you improve on perfect? Converting the soul. That, you cannot convert the soul. Unless you have a perfect method, and the law of the Lord is the perfect method. Because the law is the, if if you have a positive or negative, the magnets go like this, right? Hearts out here, the law is the only one. It's a perfect match for reaching those that um, have the manifestation of God. They see the evidences of God. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Because all people that don't believe the evidence of God, the Bible has a word for them. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, It's not my word, that's God's word to them. Let's look at the um, the last evidence here, his creation. Verse 20, for since... The creation of the world. His invisible attributes are clearly seen. (laughs) This was never more true, not only in the visible attributes, this was never more true than before the flood. Everyone before the flood, to a certain point, for the first first 900 years and change, anyone could go up to Adam and say, does God exist? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't have a father and a mother. I was, I was created by him. I don't believe that. Now, remember, Adam is a part of the creation. Created on day six. So they actually had a visible, tangible, walking, breathing, talk. because trees won't talk to you, no matter how much you I know that some really green people in Oregon might think that they can actually, and the tree will talk back to them. But Adam actually could talk back to you. You could, talk, you could go to any tree in the world and say, did God create you? And it won't answer. But you could go to Adam and Eve and say, did God create you? Yes, and we had two sons, and the one killed the other son, and we, we were in the garden, we stitched fig leaves on ourselves. And you could say, I don't believe your testimony. I don't even believe you are created. I believe you evolved, Adam. Adam's like, uh, you're actually one of my descendants. Uh, you're not alive if me and Eve didn't you know, have this relationship that we have. I don't believe it. I believe we came from ape. Adam's like, there's apes right around us. How would you have come? For They're still around. I like the country boy that said, uh, you know, if, if we came from apes, why do we still have apes? That's great. That's country boy logic, isn't it? <laughs> creation. For since the creation of the world, his visible attributes are clearly seen. Now, Paul actually goes to the, to the hyper-extreme. Paul says his invisible attributes. He doesn't even start with the physical attributes. He just says his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood that his handiwork is all around us. Even his eternal power and Godhead. What does it say at the end of that verse? So that they are without excuse. No one will be able to stand before God and say, they taught me evolution in school. And God would say, yeah, yeah but they also taught you about the Easter Bunny. You didn't believe that. Right? They also taught you about Disney movies. You didn't actually believe there was a Cinderella. Right? They taught you about Santa Claus. You enjoyed it, but you didn't really believe there was one. Well, maybe you did till you are nine or whatever. But at some point, you came to your senses and realized that's not true. But they told you that A mosquito, a banana, a palm tree, an elephant, a person, a Doberman, all have the same ancestor. A primordial slime. Amazing. Right? That's like saying a Timex watch... A pair of blue jeans, a shirt—you know—they they all have the same—you know—basically, they're all made with the exact same process, right? Makes no sense whatsoever. You know, Charles Darwin, when when he created, <laughs> it, uh, even even we're in the image of God, we create stuff. We, as man, we create really bad things <laughs> a lot of times, and so the creation of the. Th- doctrine of evolution, he himself said he was quite surprised that people actually bought into it. I'm paraphrasing, but he he said he was quite surprised that people act well, he didn't realize the hunger and thirst people have for an excuse. But this says they still will be without excuse. Regardless of how good the excuse is, you will be able to, people will stand before God and line up, I don't know how many Harvard and Stanford scientists, and it won't help you. And God will say, they were fools, professing to be wise according to the text. Let me read you a story from Ravi Zacharias. How many you know who Ravi Zacharias is? Grew up in India. Brilliant man. Uh, no disrespect, but he's probably smarter than all of us combined. Don't get prideful if some of you think you're really smart. Uh, I was just, just making a point. He's not that smart. Some of you are very smart. (laughs) But nevertheless, he said, we assume as Christians, he says, we assume as Christians that God exists. But I was just in Paris talking to two leading French businessmen. This is a true story. He said, I was in Paris talking to two leading French businessmen, and neither of them thinks with a theistic framework or a, a God framework. They were talking about the French elections, by the way, you think ours are bad. And somewhere in the conversation around the table, somebody asked if they taught ethics or anything spiritual. Again, he's with two prominent French businessmen. The question is asked, do you guys teach anything of ethics or spirituality in your companies or in your, in your country? Oh, no, we don't, we don't deal with that at all, they said. Then they talked about the three candidates that were in the running for election. And one of the businessmen who actually was mentored by one of the candidates running for office, said that the first candidate was addicted to alcohol, the second was addicted to women, and the third was addicted to corruption. These are their words. Ravi says, not mine. And so my wife Margie said, maybe they do need to start teaching something about spiritual values and ethics. Then something very strange happened. As we were having dinner, we looked out of the window into the Paris night sky, and there was a beautiful streak of white across the dark clouds. The man sitting next to me, a leading businessman who is very well known in France, said, maybe there is a God. I read that story because it was the convergence of all three things at the same time. The wrath of man, revealed in the depravity of man. The fact that the conscience seemed to just the mere mention of spiritual things started to work on the conscience. And being in the presence of a Christian, because when you're in the presence of a Christian, the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. And then thirdly, God used the created realm, the clouds, the world that he's created, and you actually saw all three. The story really struck me. Robbie doesn't point this out. To me, it just struck me when I read, I was looking for things, that, and I said, wow, Lord, that actually is all three. You revealed all three evidences at that moment to that man. Now, what he does with it after that is a different story sometimes, isn't it? But for a moment, God was speaking to him saying, I'm here. Are you listening? You see see your country's a wreck. I pour out wrath on nations. You see that you're starting to wonder what about my own? What am I addicted to? He wasn't talking, he was just thinking. And then God says, poof, a little, little streak of light through the clouds. My creation. Maybe there is a God. Because although they knew God, verse 21. They didn't glorify him, nor were they thankful. Satan really works on unthankful hearts. Unthankful hearts seem to crave anything that's not God because you get to actually put your carcass on your own throne as God spoke to Israel, right? His creation's all around us. Um, Let me read you a quick article. I know we're running out of time here, but I think you'll... uh, I read this one just this week. Um, this was on the Fox News Science. Uh, I'm sure it was uh, list. I'm sure it was out on a lot of scientific journals. And uh, but uh, just um, just last week, I read this article. It says uh, astronomers have discovered the largest known structure in the universe: a clump of active galactic cores that stretches four billion light years from end to end. When you In just a second, you'll understand why this dwarfs anything else we've ever come across. The superstructure is a large quasar group, LQG, a collection of extremely luminous galactic nuclei powered by supermassive central black holes. This particular group is so large that it challenges modern cosmological theory, researchers researchers said. While it is difficult to even fathom the scale of LQG, We can say quite definitively it is the largest structure ever seen in the entire universe observable. Lead author Roger Clowes of the University of Central Lancashire in England said in a statement, This is hugely exciting, not the least because it runs, listen to this, it's exciting because it runs counter to the current understanding of the scale of the universe. I thought they had figured this out. The hugely exciting, not the least because it runs counter, uh, Roger Clowes of the University of Lancaster says, Quasars are the brightest objects in the universe. For decades, astronomers have known they tend to assemble in huge groups, some of which are 600 million light years wide. That's million, not billion. Remember, this one is 4 billion light years apart, much, much larger than 600 million light years But the record-breaking quasar group, which Klaus and his team spotted in the data gathered by the Sloan Digital Sky Survey, is on another scale altogether. The newfound LQC is composed of 73 quasars in a span of 1.6 billion light years in most direction, though at its thickest area, it's 4 billion light years across the widest point. To put that mind-boggling size into perspective, the disk of the Milky Way, so our entire Milky Way galaxy, Right? our solar system and all the others that are in it, home of the Earth's solar system, Milky Way is about 100,000 light years wide. And the Milky Way is separated from its nearest galactic neighbor, uh, Andromeda, by about 2.5 million light years. So ours is 100,000 light years apart. Then you've got to go 2.5 million light years even to get to the next... Um, galaxy. And then this thing though, LQC is so enormous in fact that theory predicts it shouldn't exist. God laughs at scientists again and again and again. And and let's, let's be clear, they get a lot of things right. Science has discovered a lot of things. But everything they discover is like a thimble to God. Guess what? I bet you there's a bigger structure out there than this one. And it will defy, you know, because you have to rewrite, oh, man, we got to rewrite all of our science books. And this is why it's just, it's, you know, even Ken Ham, when he talks about, you know, uh, you know our friend Pat Robertson denying the Genesis account, which is very sad, uh, not only does that really undercut, not only does that completely undercut the presentation that the Bible is infallible, Trustworthy. By the way, it completely undercuts his own programming. Because you know, hey, if well, let me get this straight: if Genesis one isn't correct, maybe none of it's correct. And if none of it's correct, I don't really need Jesus, right? But Paul makes the assertion that Genesis one is correct; that the creation is so important that this is where he begins. He says, "Look, it's." It's the creation that is the invisible attributes clearly seen. It's the creation account that anyone that comes against what God says, no matter how clever they are in the way they present it, they'll be made to be a fool eventually. I mean, even things like this prove it. But ultimately, uh, they'll have no proving when you stand before God. And it says in verse 25, as we come to a close, here's the key thing. Verse twenty-five. They exchanged the truth for a lie. Uh, you hey, know, hey, I'll give you some truth. No, no, no. I don't, can I have a lie, please? Can I buy? A, can I buy a vow? Can I? I'd like a lie. Well, if I give you the truth, you could actually know how to escape the wrath of God. <laughs> Not worried about that. Give me a lie. And and man has. It, all before our modern age, and I know that there's still a lot of the world that still we're going to get into the depravity of man and, and idol worship and all that stuff uh, next week, but I know that there's still you know, huge sections of the world that worship false gods. But in America, for the most part, our country that's walking away from God is becoming ah religious, no religion at all. I mean, that group is up to, I think it's about 20% now say, hey, no religious affiliation, Not religious. They're so smart because they're scientifically minded, and I gotta tell—I mean, it has an incredible amount of faith to believe Darwin's uh, fairy tale. It's just a joke, you know. It's—it's it's an. It, there's no evidence whatsoever, but there's a lot of evidence uh, of creation. Yeah, God, he's clear clearly exists. You know, it, First uh, Colossians 1.16 says, "For in Him all things were created, that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible." whether in thrones, dominions, principality, and power, everything created for him and by him. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, philosophy and science have not always been friendly toward the idea of God, the reason being they are dedicated to the task of accounting for things and are impatient with anything that refuses to give an account of itself. The philosopher and the scientist will admit that there is much that they do not know, but that is quite another thing from admitting there is something they can never know. That, uh, which indeed they have no technique for discovering. This is the rub. God tells you he exists. God has created the world, which is a, a, a massive evidence, a universal evidence in our lifetime. Only in the last 20 years, the signs in the sky that we're getting from te- Hubble telescope, there were the, you know, right there in the middle of the Whirlpool Galaxy, the cross is there, and you see all these evidences, and God's saying, look, you will be above all the generations before even less of an excuse because now you understand that space is far more complex than this watch that I'm wearing which took a lot of you know, had to pressurize it and all the different things that went into this watch and to make sure it can uh, go you know up to 500 meters beneath the surface that's fairly complex but God says this is this is kids work compared to just any tiny small postage stamp of outer space Anyone ever watched, uh, like, uh, The Grinch at Christmas? You know, it's funny that the whole movie, it takes place inside of a snowflake. You realize that that concept kind of boggles your mind, like, wow, that an entire world. Our earth is way tinier in span of the universe than inside that snowflake. And God is saying, you think that that was done by accident, that I actually placed earth, poop inside something smaller than a snowflake, if you will, compared to the relative universe, and all of that is by mere happenstance. When you stand before the Lord, God will say, you exchange the truth, the obvious truth, for a lie. Right? Like me telling my three daughters, me and mom are your mom and dad, and them saying, I don't believe that. Look, I can show you the pictures. I, I can show you the day that we brought you home. Still don't believe it. mm not going to believe it. Look, I, I can show you the video. I videoed every day of your life. Here it is. No, still don't believe it. That's what man does. God's like, I'm not trying to prove it to you. I'm just saying it's out there. I don't have to. God doesn't have. God's not bothered that he can't prove himself. The burden of proof is on us. And not on him. Amen? You can reject it all you want. You can say clouds don't exist, but they exist whether you think they do or not. Right? Let's close in prayer.